Welcome back to Coin Scrum Markets. And this week we're joined by Anton Golub, founder of Flovtech. Anton, thanks for coming back. Hi, Tiana. Thanks for welcoming me. And it seems like I always join you when the markets go up. So again, you know, a great time to be with you. I know you're like a lucky <laughs> charm, Anton. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about what's uh, just happened this morning. So Bitcoin prices continue to rebound and we broke through 50K this morning. Um, what do you think this means for the market in general acting bullish? You know, we've had a couple of regulatory snafus over the last couple of weeks, um, notably the US infrastructure bill. Yeah. And, um, you know, typically that tends to affect the price in a negative way. Do you think that this is just the market maturing um, and you know regulation being seen as a, a enabler to you know institutional markets or is it unrelated? What's driving the price? Yeah. So what I can say from a personal perspective, you know, the innovation in the crypto world in the crypto industry actually always happens on the edge of regulation. And many times when we innovate in the crypto industry, we're kind of like the regulation has to catch up with us over time. Now, when it comes to this particular uh, infrastructure bill or infrastructure law that was actually proposed in US, I think the impact or where the, a lot of noise was actually uh, constructed was around the participants in the crypto industry that would not be able to handle compliance re requirements from that particular proposal yeah mm -hmm. namely you know uh, you know a developer if i would if i was a developer and i would receive a payment from some wallet you know uh, for uh, my work i would have to identify who that counterparty was and actually construct a compliance sheet compliance document you know stating that i know who was the i mean this is unfeasible for uh, normal people now the bill itself would not impact professional uh, uh, crypto companies, for instance, like Floftech or exchanges or uh, miners, because they already have those tools in place. So I think if you kind of look at zoom out, I think that that particular piece of news was not uh, was not going to be detrimental and is not detrimental to the price. And in spite of this, in spite of all these negative news, the price went up. Now, as you know, I'm by nature highly optimistic and highly bullish on our industry. So I think this is the first small leg of a bigger leg that's coming. And what I can confirm is what we see in the back as a market maker is that the bull run is still on and it's going to be here for the foreseeable time future, six to nine months, a year if you're, we are lucky. Well, and there are, you know, a number of people that share your optimism in that just having crypto be part of the, you know, national discussion at a level of this infrastructure bill, which, you know, was one of President Biden's, you know, mandates, right? So the, the, the White House is looking at this bill as critically important and that crypto is part of that discussion. Um, you know, is seen by a number of people in the market as validation for the industry that, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, a legitimate industry that so much so that the US government wants to make sure that they're getting their taxes. Yeah, so it's good that we need to, and we should pay taxes, you know, and so let's kind of uh, mention this is very positive uh, um, development. And I think also this should be a, actually a bit of flattering to our whole industry that we are being mentioned in this particular context. And also kind of zooming out, I mean, this infrastructure bill is going to be probably the biggest and the most massive government spending ever in history that we are going to see. Maybe in the back, some money printing to support that, right? But I think, you know, overall, this is going to be, it's highly positive for us. I think that also the bill itself is not going to be uh, uh, 
it's not it's going to be have uh, it's going to have destabilizing effect long term because i mean this kind of massive government spending actually doesn't go hand in hand with normal economic policy mm -hmm. but i know it's kind of like we are driving this train of uh, a lot of uh, central uh, 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 bank and government interventions it's very flattering for us uh, but also it means like that a lot of things that were maybe considered um, quite we considered quite innovative and new maybe 10 years ago when the financial crisis was happening and that's the reason why bitcoin exists today would be, be mind-blowing actually if you told that to people what's going to ha happening today that crypto is going to be part of the uh, a wider discussion Oh, absolutely. No, no question. Um, we've also seen so the market overall is pretty bullish. Um, you know, Ethereum continues to achieve some stable price growth. There are definitely some standouts in the alt market with Cardano and Solana. Um, what do you think is happening there and, and what um, alts are standing out to you? Yeah. So in the particular context of Ethereum, I think the big news was, I mean, or the big change was actually that as of today or recently, Ethereum is actually now deflationary cryptocurrencies. So actually due to the burning mechanism that was in, introduced with the, uh, in the in the upgrade, actually today Ethereum is deflationary. I don't think that near term or short term it will have any significant impact because there's a lot of appetite for Ethereum. And kind of the way we see the appetite exists is because people dip their toe, get into Bitcoin, and then they turn around, come to back to us and say okay what's next and then you know the next thing is ethereum so this is kind of uh, how i see it and when it comes to cardano which is particular personally very uh, uh dear coin to me uh what we see uh, out there that uh i think the development wise cardano has been lagging a bit so they have they need to catch up and due to that the most of the appetite that we see for cardano is actually retail based and coming out of asia so this is kind of a bit how i see it you know but i mean the cardano has had the most extraordinary growth in the last couple of uh, weeks from all the altcoins kind of excluding the top of uh, top uh, bitcoin and ethereum it's they had tremendous growth yeah yeah well and then you know just on, on a follow up on to you know everybody wants ethereum um, this past week, we saw another notable cyber attack with 97 million yeah. being stolen from uh, the exchange liquid. Um, yeah. How are these hacks, do you think, perceived by the market in general and um, consumers and, and kind of the trust level? It's kind of a two pronged question. What, what yeah. impact do these hacks have? Yeah. So ju just to explain, actually, uh, so actually previously I ran a crypto exchange. And it's actually very interesting for, for me to see is this is maybe what people don't know, but as a crypto exchange, you're actually under attack all the time. And if you're IT developer in the back, you see it. And as, as a part of the management, you know that. So it's not uh, surprising that this is happening with all the other exchanges. I think the context of Liquid was highly specific because it's a regulated uh, trading venue out of Japan. And since this regulation aspect was inspiring a lot of confidence and trust into it, but we kind of now see firsthand that that doesn't necessarily mean that the, that the infrastructure was at the level that the trust and the confidence, you know, was inspiring. In, in general, you know, this news is actually very, very negative, especially on Liquid, which is actually a retail trading venue, retail yeah. exchange is not an institutional grade or, or for professional traders. So this is highly negative. I think it will have detrimental impact on, on uh, Liquid in this particular context. If you remember, actually, KuCoin experienced the same quite a few years ago, and that they were hit quite hard because of that. KuCoin is still a great exchange, but I think this kind of things as the scale, uh, if the reputation is high and the scale of the attack or hack is very, very big, I think that has overall very, very negative consequences on the exchanges. And I think that will happen the same as well now 
Yeah, and I think in the case of Liquid being, you know, one of the kind of leading Japanese exchanges, yeah. that market is a little bit more, I don't want to say isolated, but a little bit more insulated, let's say, from, from the rest of the kind of retail trading market most Japanese consumers mm -hmm. trade on Japanese regulated exchanges. So um, to have a hack at that level, I think it also brings to light the differences between regulators mandates around how assets are held. So for a regulated exchange to have that many or that much in assets in warm storage, which was what was hacked, I think is interesting in comparison to maybe regulated exchanges in the US too. So it kind of brings about uh, one of the you know discussions that we've had in the past around regulatory clarity and kind of setting best practices because these exchanges are accessed by consumers around the world. Exactly. And I think as you really, you hit the nail on that one, the problem is actually what in finance you call an omnibus account, meaning that you pull all the assets together in a single uh, account. And the fact that it's actually uh, two things, both that it's actually within a hot wallet and the solution is centralized. Meaning if that particular uh, piece of technology is compromised in one way or the other, I mean, you have the detrimental effect. And I think also very interesting thinking a few steps ahead, I think that the solution is actually a decentralized environment when it comes to custody and a multi-sig environment where you cannot just, you know, if you actually enter into the infrastructure, you basically can take out everything that you want. So I think, you know, maybe thinking about the next steps, the future of uh, trading is going to be semi-decentralized or decentralized environment when it comes to custody. Yeah, indeed. All right. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about DeFi and kind of, you know, bridge the gap between regulation and, and DeFi is a good example of... Uh, we've seen a lot of recent activity from regulators, um, most notably FATF a couple of months ago, um, came out with new guidance and they basically said, no such thing as DeFi. If a service is being offered, someone's offering it. Um, and then last week, Gary Gensler, um, the new head of the SEC, made a similar statement around there is nothing in the market today that is sufficiently decentralized to, you know, not be a market actor that would be caught within the regulatory mm -hmm. scope of every mm -hmm. other crypto asset service provider. So um, what, what is, what's happening in the DeFi space and the regulatory space combined that's having an impact on the market? Are we seeing mm -hmm. any changes? Because the DeFi market seems to do what the DeFi market does regardless. So the, the DeFi market is absolutely booming. And also just to say on the personal side, I'm a huge believer in decentralization. Over time, everything will be decentralized. That makes sense to be decentralized. It's a long time to get there and we'll have to kind of go through these ups and downs. This is just to mention on a personal side. So where we speak with uh, people who come from the monetary institutions or the regulators, the problem is really for them is offering financial products to retail investors. I can just confirm they really don't care if a hedge fund goes out, trades some weird or crazy financial instrument and then blows up. This is professional institutional investors investing into hedge funds and it's just, that's how the game is played. The problem is really on the retail side where you have really some many times wrong incentives and I kind of can hint at that here now with yield farming. Really you have astronomical returns offered to random individuals where the downside is as astronomical or catastrophical as well, that either there's a mistake in the code, you know, these are the, you know, kind of resulting hack, uh, hacks are basically exploits through flash loans. But I think really this is the problem when we speak to them uh, or our in, uh, impression is when we speak uh, to people working with the regulators. I think that over time, the growth of the uh, DeFi products will just keep on growing. 
And as it grows, there will have to be adaptation on the regulatory side when it comes to uh, DeFi protocols. I think kind of if I have to hint to that, for instance, for me, a big inspiration and really fascinating growth was experienced by Binance at the beginning. And kind of they had a tremendous growth because they were actually at the edge of innovation. DeFi is now at the edge of innovation and things will catch up on the regulatory side with DeFi protocols the same way they're catching up now with Binance. This is how I would say it, but both, you know, the same way Binance is a leader still today, the big DeFi protocols, the Uniswap, Aave, and so on will be the leaders going forward. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Um, You know, I think that a lot of the growth that Binance was able to achieve, you know, post the ICO boom um, and the listing of a lot of these tokens that potentially maybe some of the other exchanges were unwilling to list at the time, um, and yes, kind of at that bleeding edge of, of innovation where it's something isn't, it's so new that it hasn't even been looked at um, from a regulatory perspective. But we are seeing um, a significant response from the regulatory community uh, to Binance kind of globally over the last couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I'm not um, close to, you know, the commercial strategy or their market share doesn't seem to me like it's impacted it that significantly. Yeah, I so I absolutely agree. And first, just to make a strong statement, you know, Binance has gone through a, a more rough patch, both through the during the crypto winter where the whole industry was under tremendous pressure. I have no doubt that the, you know the, the team will find the solutions going forward. Uh, definitely, the way going forward is very clear for. Binance, but also other other players, is they will have to catch up on the regulatory side. Uh, I think that you know that going forward, I mean, they already introduced the first measure today. You cannot even op- uh, operate operate trading even with smaller amounts without KYC. For instance, even in Switzerland, you can buy up about uh, up to a thousand Swiss francs worth of cryptos without actually doing KYC. So it's a very small amount. Today at Binance, you cannot even operate at all. You can only withdraw. Uh, actually, uh, if uh, you don't pass full KYC. So I think this is the way going forward. They will basically implement the standards around the globe. Uh, it's a global company, uh, Binance, but all the other crypto companies, we are global companies. We operate in a global environment. Maybe we don't focus on certain jurisdictions for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, all the exchanges, all the players will catch up on the regulatory uh, uh, basis across the globe. And we will find the right jurisdictions to operate from. Uh, Switzerland, for instance, for us being one of them. So this, I see it actually as a very positive uh, development. Indeed. Well, and there's some recent news this morning that uh, Richard Tang, the head of the, well, the digital assets um, group at ADGM, which is Abu Dhabi Global Markets, so the regulator in Abu Dhabi has just joined Binance as the CEO yeah. of Singapore. Yeah. So uh, regulators continue to, um, or ex-regulators continue to, you know, move over to the crypto side, and hopefully that's a positive step for everyone, that uh, they can kind of give the insights and the coaching required and um, to these companies as they move into the next stage of growth. Absolutely, and we invite more of them, <laughs> and I'm sure more, many more of them will join uh, inspire, aspiring crypto companies. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on a little bit. We uh, Facebook is a classic example of a firm that received some regulatory um, pushback when they attempted to launch or they announced. Um, gosh, I forgot what it was called now, Libra, DM. Um, And it looks like they're getting ready to uh, launch their stablecoin, Novi. What is the market um, saying about this? 
Yeah. So uh, just first to mention is that, you know, uh, we in Switzerland have a lot of affection <laughs> towards this particular project because actually at the beginning it was actually set up in Switzerland. But yeah. then kind of it didn't play out because maybe our, you know, uh, we were not fast actually, you know, catching up with the demands of this project and kind of headed out in a different direction, you know. Now, uh, when we uh, this particular news first came out, actually, it was very interesting for me to hear why there was such a co commotion around Facebook issuing a stable coin. Let's call it like that in plain language, you know. And really, the feedback that I gotten was is that uh, the the financial institutions don't really see other financial institutions adopting blockchain technology as competition. They really see big tech companies as their as their competition going forward, and Facebook being the biggest one on the planet. You know, mm -hmm. so I think you know if uh, how they say if a traditional bank is not really maybe afraid of Goldman Sachs issuing a stablecoin, but they're afraid of Apple or Facebook issuing a stablecoin because they can move very fast and innovate any fast. They have a track record of doing that. And that's where a lot of commotion was happening. I think in terms of the project itself, it's been very underwhelming uh, because there was a lot of aspirations and a lot of ambitions that was communicated very early on, but nothing happened so far. And I think really the challenges could be really on a, on a regulatory side that you have a, a big tech companies issuing their own currency. Mm -hmm. This is really in plain language what's happening here. And I think this is what scares a lot of the government, which usually in the back, they're supported by financial institutions. So I think this is where uh, a lot of the uh, issues we have for them. I think it would the impact, not necessarily in the development world. I mean, in Switzerland, if you issue a stable, I mean, who really cares? You know, it's like not much changes. But I think if you're in the developed world and we are really seeing what's happening, for instance, now in Afghanistan, yeah. Imagine there if, I mean, people have cell phones there, they have Facebook, it's not like mind blowing, you know, thing to say today. Imagine if they would have a stable coin issued by one of the biggest tech companies on the planet and they could use it to support during now the transition of the governments or operating systems, however you want to call it. I think that's the big vision there where the big impact could happen. And I think we need to focus on that. Yeah. Well, I read another article um, and I think it was CNBC taking a look at the, um, the situation in Afghanistan right now yeah. and having, you know, a complete disruption to your monetary policy and system and then yeah. having to potentially, you know, emigrate to another country or, you know, consolidate your wealth or, you know, you've got people that are outside of Afghanistan trying to send money in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, you know, crypto is a perfect use case for that. Um, and I think that this article was kind of addressing it like, well, this is this, this you know, kind of myopic, you know, one situation um, that doesn't necessarily uh, impact the rest of the world, right? This is just happening yep. in Afghanistan, but it's not just happening in Afghanistan. And I think it has always been one of the promises for crypto that it could disrupt and, and greatly improve cross-border cross-border, sorry, remittances, especially in countries and, 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 a, and a store of value um, in situations just like this. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, uh, just to mention on the personal side, actually, so I'm uh, originally from Croatia and actually in the 80s, there was a hyperinflation, one of the biggest ones in Yugoslavia. So I remember the stories that my parents used to tell me how they actually that money was worthless. You wanted to get rid of it as fast as possible. And kind of now when I was reading, not necessarily the same article as you did about the situation in Afghanistan. And I read, they said, oh, the banks ran out of cash. And yeah. I was thinking like, I was thinking like, wow, I don't even have a physical wallet because I live in Switzerland and I pay with my phone. But yeah. imagine if they, I, you know, people there could have the same privilege that I have today, I think this would be an amazing achievement for our industry 
and you know as you said maybe one day this is the the use case as people like to challenge us many times what are the use cases i think maybe we'll be proud one day if in a different environment or this context you know those use cases would come to good fruit you know yeah i agree all right so let's take a quick look at the um what's happening in the institutional space over the last 10 days or so so there's been some uh big changes in leadership at sds and six which are regulated regulated security token exchanges um what's happening with the shift there and what what does that indicate around growth and adoption yeah so just to so to provide a context six is the largest swiss exchange and one of the biggest european exchanges and they launched a, a digital exchange meaning kind of for blockchain-based assets and they had a really big ambition launched it with a lot of uh, um, uh, um, publicity in 2018 and kind of the vision was like uh, the so just for context actually six as an exchange is owned by the banks in switzerland fully so they are the owners of the of the exchange and the idea was like how can we actually offer infrastructure and cre create a fully integrated infrastructure between custody trading settlement and clearing in on the blockchain such that actually the uh, the traditional swiss banks can actually catch up with a rapidly involving uh, crypto industry and i think kind of now i think i des described maybe the challenges why nothing has gone live in the last three years because it's actually a company fully owned by traditional banks and has an ambition to be highly innovative provocative company and i think maybe that's actually where there was a lot of challenges when it comes to delivery because in the end, this is still a startup, even though they have a ton of money, it's a startup. And I think the changes in the le leadership re reflected the fact that delivery has been very slow. I think it will be a game changer globally because it will be actually, in fact, the first uh, truly globally regulated uh, exchange. So not a trading venue. For instance, in UK, I'm sure you know, you have a regulated multilateral trading facility called Archex, but yep. to have a regulated exchange, that would be the first globally. And I think there's a lot of issues and, and complications why that happens. And maybe for context, some people know it's because it actually into law. And for instance, market, market infrastructure law, which is incompatible with the blockchain world. Basically, the law says it has to be centralized depository entity, and you have a living decentralized environment. So I think that just actually symbolizes the fact that security tokens are difficult. A lot of people are talking about them and saying how big it is going to be one day is just not happening. And maybe if I can tell you what we see out there, uh, there's not going to be an exchange anytime soon, but you're going to have a lot of dark pools. So basically, when you are a bank, you can launch a dark pool mm -hmm. and banks, you have we have two of them in Switzerland, but more of them coming. Uh, they're going to launch dark pools where the security token will be able to be traded. And then you have market makers or traders basically connecting all of these dark pools and you're not going to have an exchange anytime soon. So this is kind of how we see. But I think from a project perspective, it's phenomenal. It's just uh, we kind of see that it's very slow in delivery. Yeah, well, that's that's what happens when you're operating at that bank level. And I think both you and I have both been involved in projects while working for banks where, you know, great intention um, next to no execution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Politics, the infrastructure, the legacy systems, um, you know, the the internal, you know, sentiment and temperature is tough, right? It's, yeah. Almost like crypto startups, you know. So this is the same level, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've seen a, a, a significant amount of MA activity in the crypto world recently, uh, like yeah. the Polygon acquisition. So yeah. um, are we going to start to see more consolidation, or yeah. is this just an indicator of growth? 
Yeah. So uh, uh, I think that, uh, so in 2018, we had a lot of M&As because kind of like the, a lot of the crypto companies were at the edge and then you had actually natural synergies. So that was actually, if you kind of recall 2018, 19, that was kind of like the play. Today, the play is actually purely growth. And I think you, we see that a lot. I mean, you mentioned a great example, which was Hermes Network and uh, Polygon. But I think, I mean, we see it, for instance, with Coinbase is just running around and buying stuff. You know, that's useful pieces of infrastructure for their own ecosystem. And today, at least what we see that the MA activities is purely growth. Uh, but even that, I think we're not going to see many of them because the the ease which you can get uh, capital today or money today in the crypto space is mind-blowing. Uh, so I don't think that will happen. You know, it, you will have, I think we'll have growth-focused M&As going forward. But actually, if you just want to raise capital, I think Bitpanda raised now 200 million again at, I don't know, what's crazy valuation. So I think if you want to get capital, uh, yeah, we're not going, you can just do that uh, through fundraising. I think the M&As will really happen where you have actually synergies and it will be actually basically acquisition of teams not necessarily acquisition technology acquire the whole team this is kind of how i see it yeah yeah that makes sense all right well um you uh, had a conversation with paul a couple of months ago and you gave us your bitcoin price prediction by the end of the year do you want to remind us what you told us what it was yeah. i'm very happy to remind you and myself and the audience I said, I said very confidently, I was like, it's going to be 200K by the end of the year. I didn't look very smart in the last couple of, uh, in the last two months, but in the last couple of weeks, it maybe has a bit more solid ground. I absolutely am. So at least what we see happening in the back, uh, the bull run is still on. I think the markets will go where I actually said. So I still firmly stand by my conviction, 200K, but usually people are wrong. But I think that the markets will overshoot what I just mentioned, and it will be higher than that, and uh, maybe even higher. But you know, but I'm really stand firmly. I think we're going to end up at 200k. We have another six, nine months, maybe a year, if we're lucky, of a bull run. And let's see, uh, you know, on the next follow-up interviews, how smart or not, not smart I look like. All right, brilliant, Anton. <laughs> thank you so much for coming back. It's always fun to chat. Like, was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, and wishing everyone to stay liquid.